Okay, I was kind of looking around today. Do you ever do that? Do you ever look around? And I'm going to date myself because uh, I like Tim Hawkins. You guys like Tim Hawkins? Tim Hawkins is awesome. He does this thing because I stood up and I said, I wonder if everyone else is standing up. And I kind of looked around. No, I'm alone right now, except for the person in the back. And he does this thing with how we worship. Do you ever, how we should worship and sing? And I'm kind of a fan of what you do with your hands. So it's like there's the, there's the TV, holding a TV. I do that sometimes. Then there's goes big screen. <laughs> there's I caught a fish. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm lying about the fish. <laughs> he does this thing, heartburn, you know. There's just a victory rocky. And how, what you do, and so I start to make fun of because it's awkward. We're not sure how we should worship, what we should do, and what it should look like. But you know, most of the time, I'm pretty sure what I think people should do to respond to Jesus. They should do things that follow along what I think are good things to do. Preferably along my bent of uh, politics or my bent of reality or whatever I think good is. If I love missions, everyone should respond with being a missionary or supporting that. And here's the thing. We don't know what we don't know. I, that's, I'm in that too. I don't know what I don't know. And the reality is, I don't know a lot. And even the knowledge that I don't know what I don't know ought to be a bigger part of our lives. And I want to talk about that today in light of what we've been talking about, because it should be evident. We've been going through the Gospel of John. It's fantastic. We're in John 12 today. If you want to turn there, if you follow along in your Bible, we put it on the screen too. But, 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 but it's so important to get that we've been through this idea that Jesus has a plan and he's accomplishing it. And everyone around him, even and maybe especially those who believe in him, don't get it. Right? That's what it's been. It, as Jesus said things that are true and they took it the wrong way. And, 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 and Jesus says he's going to do this and they misinterpret and misunderstand. And so they think they know, but they don't. And then they actually see what Jesus does. And it's something radically deeper than we understand. And, and we start to see that, that our best ideas a lot of times are threaded through with wrong thinking and, and, and wrong. So, so it's, it's very much in Christianity that we come back to this incredible central peace. We receive Jesus. We trust him. He knows the truth. He does it. And we gather around and say, he's touched my life. I've seen that my ways are not good. I've, I've repented, which means I've turned from my self-salvation and all the ways that I was judging and, 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 and figuring out what I think all the right ways were. And I turn to Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus? I'm trusting you. Even though it doesn't look like much is going on in my life. I, I want you to taste that depth today, that wonder of the upside downness, the depth of what Jesus has done for us as we look at, at John chapter 12. So it's a, it's, it's oftentimes seems like a very understated little piece. So I want to make sure you see it. It's, it's here for a reason. It's, it's actually a really big shift in John. Okay. So come with me, John chapter 12, worship the King. And it's called calling it worship the king because it's a scene that you're very familiar with, which is the triumphal entry. It's when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. But John doesn't do it like the other gospels exactly. So let's look. First, we're going to worship in gratitude. And I want to show you this ground of gratitude and how it's a little surprising. Here we go. 
chapter 12, verse 1. Okay, six days before the Passover. Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was and whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Okay, so amazing. Our curtain comes up. It's a new scene. And I know it's a new scene in John because it's a, he gives us a time marker. And he says it's six days before the Passover, which means now here we are just in John 12. And we're only halfway through the book. There's 50% of John left. And we're in the last seven days of Jesus' life on earth before the cross. Wow. So John's going to spend 50% of his time on this and all what Jesus says in this last week of his life. Matthew would spend about a third of his gospel on it, 40% of Mark, 25% of, of Luke. It's a big thing, this what's happening now. It's a big shift to say, okay, really focus in. Jesus lived for 30, 33 years, but we're just looking now at the last seven days. Key stuff. And it starts, John's account of that as the curtain comes up, with a party. They're <laughs> throwing Jesus a party. It's really kind of cool, right? Because they're so excited that Lazarus was alive. And so it comes to Bethany and Lazarus was alive. Jesus raised him from the dead. So let's give him a dinner. We know from the other accounts that the dinner was at a, a, a house of someone called Simon the leper. So it wasn't like a hoitsy-toitsy high society party. A bunch of outcasts. Just people have been touched by Jesus. Especially Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So there they are, having a party, crowded house, Lazarus alive and with Jesus. And then comes this. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Oh, that nard. What's that, you say? Well, just follow along for a minute. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Oh, pure nard. So what it is, is this super expensive oil. Essential oil, right? It's like if you ever used expensive oils, you get these little tiny things of it and you put a little drop in your diffuser and the, the things. This was stronger than that. It's one of the strongest oils you can have. And this is a pound of it. That's a lot. Incredible perfume. It's really interesting because there it is and, and, and she's, she's giving that and doing it and 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 the fragrance goes throughout. But what she's just done is she's taken this super expensive, we know because it's going to tell us that it, it's like a year's wages. So $50,000, $60,000 in today's, and you take $60,000 and you're breaking it and using it and it's gone. It's remarkable in a couple of ways. One is just, boy, she had that. I mean, she's not super poor. She had that squirreled away, this expensive oil. And, and, the, and the next thing, it's unusual, kind of shocking, right? I mean, it's really common in that culture, maybe not so much in ours. But when you went to someone's house and we wear clothes, shoes and stuff, but they wore open-toed sandals. So you'd go in and one of the things they would do is they'd have a servant come and wash your feet with a little water and maybe put a little tiny drop of perfume on your forehead so you'd smell good. They didn't take so many showers. So, but this is like not that. 
Because now it's the middle of the meal and they're gathered around and probably it's all men there. That was the culture, right? And in comes Mary and she breaks this thing over Jesus and, 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 and then she, then she bends down at his feet and then she, shocking, takes down her hair. And you say, well, that's not shocking, Dex. No, it is for them. That's the equivalent of someone coming to church and stripping. Like, it's that weird. What is she doing? She's uncovering her head, and then she wipes this super expensive oil all over Jesus' feet? Uh, really? Is this appropriate? I mean, wasteful, shocking, maybe? The whole house smells of this stuff? Whoa, I can't really emphasize enough how inappropriate this is to the sensibilities of the time. So it's not surprising that there's pushback. You know, in every account, there's pushback. And in all the other accounts where this happens, the disciples all are a little uncomfortable. And they start questioning what's going on. And I get it, you guys, I get it. You should get it, too. I mean... I, one of the things I share is, is one of the stories is, is uh, that where I felt this a little bit. Like, so I went to Africa, and I would, in a missionary, we would go out to the bush, and we would teach Africans, uh, pastors, about the Bible. And go through a book of the Bible together. In the meantime, my wife and I were learning French in the city. And I didn't know French very well, but we were trying to learn. And, and there I was, trying to learn French. And the city ideals and mores were different than the countryside ideals and mores. And so we'd go to these pastors' conferences and be all men. But my teacher, a single gal in the city, said, hey, could I come with you? And Danny and I said, okay, well, well, yeah, come. So she came. And she sat all alone in this room full of men at the side. And I don't think any of them heard anything I said. They kept looking at this gal. What is she doing here? Who is it? What are you doing with her, Pastor Dex? What's because in their mind, right? I, was, I wanted her to hear the gospel. I was like, hey, we're going to teach the Bible. Come hear it. But in their things, I no, no, this, this is just, I'm not sure this is right. This is wrong. I, uh, what's going on? That's this, you guys. What's going on? It's not a surprise. I mean, here in, in John, we, we get the disciples uncomfortable. We get to, to who really took up the torch to bring some sanity. And it's verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Okay, well, okay, well, I know. I know, I get it. It, it, it. Judas says it. And plus, we're giving those very helpful little parentheses that he was the one that's betraying Jesus. So I know he's a bad guy. So I know the question's got to be bad. But if it wasn't that Judas said it, if you would have put Peter and said, and Peter asked, I'd have been going, good question, man. Wouldn't you? I mean, I, it's, it's, it's like, oh, I just... I, I think we ask these questions all the time. You know, why are we spending resources this way? Are you maximizing God's glory? Aren't we doing the ministry or that ministry instead of proclaiming Jesus? I, I mean, how are you worshiping or, or, or how are you not worshiping? And, and we're always kind of looking around. 
And it's not just about what sort of arm position you have when you're singing songs. It's about how are you using what God's given you? Does it match up with what I think is right? What it really says a lot of times, because I think a lot of us, I we think this way. You kind of go into this, well, I know what's best based on my understanding of the principles that I've gotten from the Bible. I'm going to say, I know what's the best way to do your life. I'm going to tell you. Even though we've spent two chapters in John so far now, just looking over, you don't know best. You actually don't understand what Jesus is about. He's upside down. What you're, what you're asked to do, the whole reality of the Christian walk, is do you trust him? Do you trust him? We shift it to, are you responding rightly? So it's good for us to be here today because in this scene, Judah is standing there with Jesus and he's saying this, hey, you're wasting money there. We could be feeding people with that. And, and I get it, you know, it's so stinky, this stuff. Why, why don't you just take a little teaspoon of the super stinky oil and toss that on his feet and then take the rest of it and we'll, we'll, we'll I mean, 50 grand you can feed a lot of people. The problem, right, is he has no idea what God's about. He doesn't know what God's about to do. He doesn't really know what's happening. He's extrapolating principles of helping the poor, which are good, to specific the specifics of this instance of what her response is. And, 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 and he's judging that and saying, you know what, you're not oriented rightly on that. Even though what she's ending up doing, a lot of people don't think about this, but what she's actually doing is 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 this amazing little piece of the song of solomon what do i mean well t- take a look it's actually really interesting in song of solomon chapter one it says while the king was on his couch my nard gave forth its fragrance yeah well dax that's it's, it's no it's not sexual it's just this is a, a an amazing picture that is Picture after picture after picture after picture after picture in the Old Testament of the coming king. And as Jesus comes, this is not for Jesus' burial. This is about Jesus, the king. And she does it. She doesn't even, I don't think she's thinking of the Song of Solomon. I think that she just does it. And it reflects God who's in charge, making all of things happen exactly as he says to point to the King of Kings has come. Do you trust him? He's about your salvation. Yeah, but I'm just not sure about how that's going down. Okay. Of course, back to Judas for a minute. I mean, he asked these questions. That's what he's saying this. But the text tells us that he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. <laughs> so you follow, right? So what he's saying is, oh, we should sell it. So we get the money and we put it. We have to store it. We don't store it in the bank. We store it in my money bag. And then as he stored it in the money bag, he starts to help himself from it. He's a hypocrite because he's actually using for himself money that could go to the poor. And that's the problem with this kind of thinking, you know. Not just for Judas. Say, oh, well, he's bad, he's bad. Yeah, I get it. 
He's bad. But it were, assuming God's not involved and doesn't care with what happens, like he couldn't make happen what he wants, and, 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 and that we aren't guilty of hypocrisy. Everybody is. Everybody is. You know, that's why a lot of people won't come to the Christian church is because they come to the church at all. They think the church are hypocrites, man. And you know what? They're right. Well, then we'll stop being hypocrites. No, 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 no. You got to understand because it's it's not about stopping hypocrisy because I, I can't. As soon as I start saying I'm going to be humble, I'm I'm I have problems with my humility. The person who lifts up their honesty like they're so honest, you can find some little corner they're cutting. If I follow you around and I just evaluate everything about you, it, it's, it's not that I'm going to help you with my little pokes in your conscience to be better. It's that I will find flaws. It's hypocrisy. I mean, we see it all over our country, right? It's just, it's so hard and, and, and so hard not to get cynical when I watch the guy who's saying, watch out for climate change, and he's taking an airplane to the climate conference, and you're like, well, wait a minute, an airplane, like, burns tons of carbon, I see the person who's like, man, we're about ending worldwide hunger. And they're taking home a hundred grand salary that they could give towards worldwide hunger. I mean, you could say pot kettle and I get it and you'd be right. Why do I say that? Because I've been to Africa. And I've been to a country where people make 30 to $100 a year. And then if it doesn't rain, and it usually rains once a year, if it doesn't rain, people starve. I own a house. Why am I own a house? I could get rid of the house and, and give the money to people so they wouldn't starve. And you say, why, Dax? And I say, you're right. I'm a hypocrite. I live in a different culture. It doesn't work out exactly right for me. But all of us, I have, I was counseling someone a couple weeks ago. It's basically a person who has left their marriage because they're so mad at the person talking about the American Christianity when they don't live it. And so this person, like, limiting themselves to one meal a day, saying everything else I can give away. I said, well, that, that sounds pretty good, but it also sounds like pathology. What is it, you know? Because as soon as we start down these paths, I think I know I'm going to apply the principle. I'm going to go after it. And the problem is we don't, we can't go after it perfectly. So, so, so we get caught in these traps and we either settle and say, well, I'll just go like an inch deep and kind of like give a little towards whatever and call it good. Or I'll break. Here's the thing. It's like this with worship. We don't know what's the best response to the wonder of what Jesus has done because the idea that we come around and the idea the church is based on is what has Jesus done. And because of what he's done and and the wonder of forgiveness, forgiveness for us, not improvement for us. Forgiveness for us means I, I, I get it. I'm a hypocrite who's forgiven. The problem with the world is there's no forgiveness the problem with so many of us is there's no for, and there's no like idea that you know what's going on in our lives as we act is is not about judging how good it is of what you're doing, but the wonder that there's a response to what Jesus has done, and that's worship. This response and it's 
gratitude here, or it's this thing that Mary's doing, and, 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 and it's judgeable. Sure, you could, you should do something different, but what does Jesus think? And that's, that's really what we want to know, huh? So this is what Jesus says. He says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Keep it for the day of my burial. What does that mean? I'll be, well, she's, she's using it for, no, 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 no. It's a remembrance, right? Of the king towards the day of his burial where what? He's going to conquer death. You don't even know what's going on. Jesus says, leave her alone. This is not a statement to avoid feeding the poor. Obviously, the poor you always have with you, it says. But it's a statement that she's doing something Jesus is okay with. And if Jesus is, we all are. (laughs) He's God. Even though she's scandalous in letting down her hair, humbling and her kneeling down at his feet, wasteful in pouring thousands of dollars away in this one act, the point is, none of those are true. She's not scandalous. She's not wasteful because the only one that matters is God. And he says she's not. All of life is a response to what Jesus has done. So, so what do we prioritize? Who says this is better than that? Isn't it better to be free and, and not be judging those things and say, no, the main thing is the actual act of Jesus. Can you get your eyes on that? Can you touch it? Can you sense it? And, and even all over the Bible, it's like that because the whole idea is that can you even sense the height, the depth, the width to know the love of God that passes understanding that you can't even really understand it so deep. And if you could touch it, And then he goes into, yeah, and you can respond. To live lives of gratitude is to understand what you've been given and to focus on that and not judge the ways in which other people worship or express gratitude. And I'm not talking about whether they do the fish or the big fish, but how you live your life. Say, well, I just don't like it. There are too many people who sit on the couch and don't get up and go serve Jesus. Okay. That person sat on the couch, posts an Instagram post about how awesome Jesus is, and somebody gets saved in Malawi. Is that good? Oh, no, they should be getting up and doing. You don't know. You just don't know. You have no idea how God is using people as they respond and are excited about the wonder of Jesus. Okay, so to do that, you can't hide behind proof texted verses, you know, like don't forsake gathering together and we start judging people doing church online. It's okay, guys, we're online. It's okay. Feel it. You read the Bible for sure. You get the principles for sure. They get into your heart. But the main piece you got to get is this piece. Jesus died for you and me, and he thinks differently than you, not like you. It's amazing. Worship Jesus. Do it with your life, with the wonder of what he's done. Don't think it has to look like anyone else. Write a song. Dance. Give. Serve. Go to Africa. Post on Instagram. Lift your hands. Put them behind your back. Just be overwhelmed with the king, right? He's amazing. Okay, that's that's the first piece. There's this gratitude, but there's also awe because he is the king. So let's keep going. Verse 9. When the large crowd says, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there. So there's this big group. They're not at the party because it's the outcasts that Jesus is hanging with, the lepers and the 
But this large crowd of the Jews heard that Jesus was there, and they came not only on account of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So, so shift to the bigger picture from this individual response to worship, which is Mary, which is she's doing something amazing, but doesn't seem like it to those around her, to this bigger picture where Jesus is having this effect on people, right? I mean, they're, 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 they're intrigued. They're, they're looking at, because Jesus has done something that's otherworldly. He's raised somebody from the dead. Who does that? We're going to go see him. And so the whole community gathers. We want to see Lazarus. He was stinky. He was decomposing. And now he's walking around. And then his enemies gather. They're concerned that people are following Jesus and believing in Jesus, this lawbreaker who doesn't keep the Sabbath, doesn't follow their authority. Who are these people who are against Jesus? They're the chief priests, right? So you're talking about the the very top best people. People who had the authority, the people who knew the scriptures, the people who had studied the scriptures, the people who knew, the people who actually were supposed to mediate between God and man there in the temple, the people who, who oversaw the administration of, of the whole nation. It's, it's the representatives of the nation in some sense. As they're standing there, the chief priests, and, and there they are, the ones who are, are God's nation people, and, and, and they want to kill who? God. What are these people doing? It gets worse. Verse 12. So the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So he's going from Bethany to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Okay, we're just flowing right in. This is it, you guys. This is the triumphal entry. This is the entry of the king. It's just sort of like... It's not associated with him, you know, and, the, and he goes and he finds the right, the right animal. He does this and does that, and there's this big buildup. There's no buildup. He connects it not to the formal entry, but to the wonder of Jesus who's called and raised the dead. And people gather and people start to be intrigued at this man who raises the dead. And they have this outpouring of nationalism and pride. So they wave the palm branches. You know the palm branches are because in the Maccabees day, that's like 150 years before Jesus was around, they had this big revolt and they, they took back the temple and they rededicated the temple and they waved palm branches. So it's this, it's this very specific to Israel thing. And then they cry out Hosanna, which as you know means save now. Save now. And they're, they're calling out and it's from psalm 118 2526 and he says they say blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord the king of israel that's amazing the one he's here the king of israel he raises the dead he does miracles he will set us free from the oppression of the romans and he'll come on a white stallion with a huge sword and power to set us free. Hail the king. Well, or not. Because it says he, Jesus found a young donkey 
And he sat on it, just as it's written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Wait. So, so you have all these people, and they're screaming out, Save now, save now. And they're, they're, they're crying out, Blessed is you who comes in the name of the Lord, the king. And they're right, and it's Jesus, and I get it. And, and, and then John has us look at the donkey, as was prophesied in Zechariah which we just read earlier. Right? And what was that about again? That was about the king coming in peace, right? Let me take you back there just for a minute. I know we don't have tons of time, but we have a little bit. So rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is exactly the quote that they're pointing to. And yet... I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak of peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the... He's coming and will establish peace. That's not what they're thinking. And he's coming. He's going to free us from the Romans. And yes, do it. But what he's really saying is I'm going to break every bow. I'm coming to establish peace in the nations. And he's coming humbly on a donkey. He's just not what we think. Right? It's striking because it's right in the middle of this passage, even in Zechariah, about conflict, about how God's going to take Greece and take the, the, the Israel and going to make them fight. And in the middle of it is like this peace that's coming and we don't understand it and don't get it and don't understand. It's about Jesus dying for us. His disciples, it says, didn't understand these things. Not at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and what he had been done to him. Something very different is going on than expected, and it wasn't different than God planned. It was planned by God, but it was unexpected. And so the crowd, it says, who had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they heard he had done this sign. And so the, the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So these people are gathering and this prophetic statement goes out. And, and for all our trying and all the trying of them saying, no, this is wrong. And we don't think it's right, says Israel, the representatives of Israel. It's still happening. One more little piece to see, because because of Zechariah, so it's it's Jesus coming in peace. That's that's a rightness. That's a that's that's not only laying down of arms, but it's it's a total rightness of you with God. Not not anything that you're going to do more. It's what He establishes, right? It says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. These came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. You've got to ask, if you're, if, you, if you're alive and you love the Bible and you love, what in the world? Why is this here? 
I mean, we've already got, we've got, we've got this amazing picture of, of Jesus and this oil that's on his feet that perfumes the area and he's the king. And, and then you've got, and then you've got the triumphal entry where the king, the prophesied king on a donkey and he rides in. And then these Greeks, they're not part of the story. And, and, and why? I mean, they go talk to, to Philip. And so Philip goes and talks to Andrew. And then Andrew and Philip go talk to G. I don't care. Why? Right? What's happening? The thing I want you to see is, is this. The end of Zechariah, right? The, this prophecy that we just saw. It says, I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. So it's in this thing where I'm aimed, right? And we're going to have Israel and Greece, and they're going to fight each other. And then just before this, and I think coming into this, is this king who breaks the bows. There's something mysterious, deep, amazing. Will Jesus meet with these guys? Well, he does say something. So they go and they get Jesus. These Greeks want to see him. Say, can we, can we come? And they would be outside the temple. They couldn't go in the temple. They couldn't go before God. They didn't get to meet with God. You, you could go into the Gentile court. That's far away. But you could never actually go to the presence of God. And here these Greeks come and who do they want to talk to? They want to meet with Jesus. Oh, he's going to say, yeah. Jesus answered them, yes. No, he didn't say that. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Jesus, I asked for a yes or a no. I don't even understand what you said. What is that? Yeah. He's amazing. He, he doesn't do what you think. He, he doesn't say what you think he's going to say. And, and so people even take this passage in a very personal way, like serve Jesus for rewards. But I think that's not it at all. Instead, this upside downness of Jesus who comes on a donkey will be killed by Israel instead of crowned by Israel, whom the Greeks will believe in. This whole idea that, that, that Israel, who is gods, w- would be aimed at the Greeks, who are not gods, but actually Israel's the one who's trying to kill Jesus, and, and, and even the killing of Jesus they're going to succeed at as they kill God will be the salvation of both them and the Greeks. You guys, you should be going, this is just amazing and so Upside down from anyone figuring out what God's going to do. He did it this way. Walk it through and then we'll be done. The hour has come for the son to be glorified. See, the hour has come and in other places like in John 2 or John 7, he has said the hour's not yet come. But now the hour's come. What's the hour come for? For his glorification. His glorification is his death. He's going to die for us. 
That's not what I think that glorifying should be. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Yet Jesus will die for us. And when he dies for us, look at the fruit. Look at the fruit of this room full of Gentiles worshiping Jesus. It's amazing. He did it. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world keeps it for eternal life. Yeah, loving your life. That's loving your works and your ways of, of, of getting to God and keeping towards God, of thinking you know, of being able to critique other people about their deeds, whether they're good enough. If you love you, you're going down. And yet you and I know that we die and are resurrected. By trusting Jesus alone. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Yeah, see, if you're a servant of Jesus, following Jesus, following Jesus isn't like walking in his footsteps. It's not doing the works he did like, oh, you too are going to get on a cross. No, it's actually following what he says is the only hope you have, which is trusting him. That's a servant of Jesus. And and where Jesus is, this is a promise, there will his servant be too. He's going to take us with him. The answer isn't how good a servant you are, what you're doing for Jesus. It's whose servant you are. Oh, Jesus has us. Anyone serves Jesus, the Father honors him or her. It's amazing. The Father will honor the servants of Jesus, not the servants of the priests or of Israel or of Greece, but of Jesus. See, there's another nation being built, another kingdom being established, another king being crowned, the forever king, the one pointed to by David, and he's our king. You say, well, what do I know about the king? I know this. He works in ways I don't understand. I don't know what I don't know, but I know this. He died for me. This is the most amazing thing, and I know I've gone late for you, but will you see this, please? This is the beginning of John. This is how John starts. This is the message of God for you and me today. Is that Jesus came to his own. I was not his own. I was not Israel. His own people did not receive him, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, if it was about the will of the flesh, it would be about us logically figuring out how to get and apply Jesus. It was about the will of man. It would be our effort, and our, but it's not. It's the will of God through faith in Jesus. And he does what you just can't even imagine. So when the king came and people were crying out for him to rule, he does rule, but he does it through death and resurrection, through forgiveness of sin through his blood, not through your deeds, his strength and power from start to finish. It's yours. And so take heart if this world's not treating you rightly. Not that there would be some movement of justice or we're against justice on earth, but God works in underhanded ways. It looks bleak, but it's not because God works. Take heart when the world doesn't approve of your worship, your heart for Jesus, but wants to push you aside or critique your small way that you show gratitude to your Savior. It's only what God sees, and he sees it all. So 
The only one who matters is the one who dies for you. And he is the power and the strength. He is the work. He is worthy. He specializes in receiving the lost and loving the outcast and especially in raising the dead. Receive him. If you hear, you are forgiven and accepted and received and born a child of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you don't know how he's going to use you, but he will. He's the great God of wonders. Let's pray.